If you're interested in finding out more about what it means to be baptized, or you're thinking about being baptized, then next Sunday after the service, Greg and Steve will be talking people through what it means to get baptized. So if that's you, if God's been challenging you about that, you just want to find out more about baptism, stay behind next Sunday after the service. We continue on our journey through Mark's gospel on the move with Jesus. In Mark's gospel, chapter 7, we read about Jesus looking up to heaven before he prayed for a man who was deaf and, and couldn't speak properly. And he used an Aramaic word called ephatha, which means be opened. And I want to take that word this morning and apply it to the chapter and ask ourselves the question, is your life open to God? In today's chapter, Jesus encounters some Jewish religious leaders who fastidiously practice religious observance. And yet their hearts were a million miles from God's heart. They were closed down to God's word, even although they knew the minutiae of it. They weren't opening their hearts to God's word. Jesus then goes on to encounter a Syrian mum who was desperate for Jesus to set her daughter free from an impure spirit. And then he encountered a man who was deaf and could hardly speak. He was brought to Jesus by his friends. Two ordinary people from outside the Jewish faith and yet they are open and responsive to God's transformative power in their lives. That's interesting, isn't it? We can be as religious as we like and yet still not know God. And we can be right on the outside and be open to what he is saying to us. It's so easy for us to assume that if we follow some religious practices, we have done our duty and we'll be fine with God. In fact, most of the world's religions are based on this premise. But what Jesus teaches here blows that out of the water. Because what God is looking for when he examines our lives is hearts which are open and responsive to him, faith which is open to his testing, and people who are open to hearing God's voice. Is your life open or closed to God? So let's read the chapter, Mark chapter 7. Uh, David and Diana are going to come and read it to us. If you don't have a Bible, then just listen along. And then come and see me afterwards. I'd love to give you a Bible after the service for free. Mark chapter 7. Thanks. So we're reading Mark chapter 7 from the New International Version, a UK edition. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands which were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating food with their defiled hands? He replied, 
Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf 
and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. Thank you, David and Diana. Well, so much for gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Can't really say that about him, can we, after reading that? So how do we open our lives to God? How do we respond to Jesus' word, Father? Well, first of all, we need to be open to God's word in our hearts. Human beings are good at making rules, and the Jewish faith was no exception. They had added a lot of rules to the very few that God had given them. Now, the problem with that is human beings are also very good at breaking rules. The more we add, the more we break, and we all do it. And we're all good at pointing out when someone else is breaking the rules, whilst quietly ignoring our own misdemeanors. And this is what is going on with the Pharisees and teachers of the law when they crowd around Jesus and his disciples. Jesus' disciples have been caught red-handed, not washing their hands before eating. Now, this was a a ceremonial ritual, which is still practiced today. I looked it up. It's netalat yadayim. Forgive me if I've got the pronunciation wrong, but the Jewish people, before they eat, wash their hands thoroughly and say a blessing over themselves and the food. It's not a bad rule, though, is it, washing your hands? particularly in our current situation. We're all learning to do that. And we're a gathered church, so we must be careful, actually, to do that, to wash our hands and and take precautions before we come to church and after we come to church so that we protect one another. You know, and if we're not feeling well before church, then let's stay at home and let us know and get better there and let your doctor know. But let's wash our hands thoroughly. And I'm told from a reliable source, that means wetting your hands first before putting the soap on, washing them thoroughly front and back, getting in between the joints there, and especially your thumbs, because we tend to forget our thumbs, and then use the paper towel to turn the tap off. Let's do that well. Simple things like that can protect ourselves and each other. It's good to wash our hands. Jesus, however, in this instance, sees their hypocritical behavior and nails the Pharisees for it. Their hands were super clean, but their hearts hadn't had a good wash in years. Outwardly, they were clean, but inwardly, their hearts were a cesspit. Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. And I like how David read that out slowly, spelt it out word by word. 
These are sobering challenges, aren't they? For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these come from inside and defile a person. Now, we may not be guilty of all of them, but probably one or two, yes, we have to hold our hands up to. Certainly, these people were slandering Jesus. They were arrogant towards him, and that was going to go well for them. So how do we take that on board? How do we change the output from our hearts? Because that's quite a hard thing for us to do. Well, the answer Jesus and the Bible gives us is to get God's Word, His commands, His teachings into our hearts. And then obeying His commands starts to become a more natural thing for us, kind of a healthy byproduct of His Spirit living within us, taking God's Word and applying it to our daily lives. That's how the Bible teaches us to go about taking this living word and applying it to our lives. We take it and we ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what it says. Now, don't just take my word for it, because David Morell, partner in our church, has been challenged by this from God himself. And David's going to come now and share some of his testimony with us. Thanks, David. Well, thank you, Glenn, for uh, suggesting that I did share my happenings over the last few months with you. It's a great privilege to do that, and I know that God's been speaking to me, and that I've found very exciting because God is very mighty and very big, and it's very humbling. The problem really for me was that I didn't realize that I had a heart of stone I've been a Christian for 47 years, and I know the Holy Spirit has lived in me for a long, long time. I think the problem was that perhaps I was running a bit routine, let things slip a little bit. Anyway, Pam, for my 75th birthday, gave me this little book, and it's a little book about Psalm 119. So when I got it, I opened it, and I had a look at what it said on the back, and I was immediately gripped. It was for me. It said on the back, it's been wisely said that the Psalter is a spiritual cardiograph. Well, being an ex-GP, cardiographs and things really struck home to me. It said, the more I'm at home in the Psalms, the healthier my spiritual condition. And it said, this is especially true of Psalm 119. Well, I've always avoided Psalm 119. (laughs) It's a bit long. And I just never could get into it somehow. It was a dead book. I mean, I'd been a Christian 47 years, and I'd been reading the Bible, but I didn't know anything about Psalm 119. I probably had read it, but it certainly hadn't registered. Anyway, the little book was there before me. So I've been into Psalm 119, and now I'm a Psalm 119 complete bore. (laughs) I'd like to tell you a little bit more about my heart of stone, though, because before I go into the the psalm, and I won't be that long, but I'd just like to say to you that the heart of stone, which I felt that I had been given, or had acquired, perhaps, was quite a problem to me, because I should have known about Psalm 119 now. You know, I mean, 75, you should be getting to know that. 
So I had a look at a few readings about having a, a stony, hard heart. And the first one I came to was Ezekiel in chapter 36 and verse 26 and 27. It says this, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll put my spirit within you and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, it was a heart transplant I needed. And that was no joke because I knew I needed it. I knew that I wasn't alive because I hadn't actually read Psalm 119. So I had another look into the Old Testament, which is great for things like this. And I came across Isaiah chapter 66. And this said, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Wow. <laughs> Did I tremble at Psalm 119? No, I dismissed it. That was the hardness of my heart. And there's one other reading I'd just like to share with you about the hardness of heart. And that's Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So thus it was, I came to Psalm 119. And I came with humility and I brought myself before the Lord at night. And he's dealt with me at night ever since. And he still is dealing with me at night. I'm really sleeping very badly, but I'm having a wonderful time. <laughs> So, well, it's true for all of us. All our disasters and problems can be turned into something so different because we can turn the light of faith on them. And this is what the psalmist does too. It just goes on. I mean, it's the most exciting psalm you could ever come across. <laughs> Apart from the one Phil was talking about in Psalm 51, Psalm 1's a great one too. Psalm 19's <laughs> tremendous. I mean, just, you know, we just need to get on with it and look at it and read it again, but read it with a different heart. Here we go. He writes, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Uh, and blameless doesn't mean sinless, by the way. It sounds as though it means sinless, but it doesn't, because the Bible talks about um, King David being blameless. Well, you and I know jolly well that King David was into adultery, and he was far from sinless. So blameless is more like being um, without guile, sort of single-minded, determined. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the instruction of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Yes, who do no wrong, but in his ways they walk. And then it says, you have commanded your precepts, that's your words, to be kept deeply. And that struck home to me. Did I keep his word deeply? 
the psalmist lays out the theology in the first three verses, but the rest of the psalm is prayer, applying it. It's so worth a read. You've got to go home and read it. And then study it, because it's laid out for Bible studies all the way through. It's so easy. There's only eight verses in each section. There are 22 sections, and there are 176 verses in all. It's not that long. (laughs) Morris says it takes 20 minutes to read it. So there we are. So that the psalmist writes of this, he loves and delights in the word of God. Now I would ask you, do you love and delight in the word of God? He says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your teaching. He's so expectant when he reads it. It's wonderful. And he just says, I delight in your word. What is your delight and what's my delight? I find my delight in your commandment, which I love. And then it goes later on to say that princes, that is, people in power, the big ones, the bosses, the guys who can sack you if they want, the big boys. He says, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I couldn't give a toss about them. I don't bother. If they want to sack me, well, let them sack me. I've got this word, and that's what I'm reading, because that's where my passion is. That's what I love. And then he says, with my whole heart I seek you. And my challenge today for me and for you is, with your whole heart do you seek the Lord? That is, do you put his word as the priority in your life? Do you get up to read the word of God? Is that your priority? Or do you get up to have a busy day and when you get home, oh, it's Leviticus again. You know, I just haven't got it. I've had such a busy day today. I'm just going to sit down and have a drink or whatever you want to do. I'm just too tired. And it's so easy to push the word of God to be second. But if you love God with your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole strength, you will do the same with his word. I then started to think about who else we could think of in the Bible who was like this man, like the songwriter. Richard would be pleased he's a songwriter. If you look back through the Old Testament, right to the very beginning of it, you find Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve dismissed God's word as being not worth a toss. And then if you look the other way, you look right to the start of the New Testament, you see a man in the desert. He's got nothing there. There's no plenty at all. There's nothing. He's got a stone in one hand. And the devil comes to him in the same way that he came to Adam and Eve. And he says to that man, that stone could be turned into bread. But that man says, no, no. It's the word of God. Every word that counts. And Jesus turns to the word. We're told that right from the start. Luke Luke tells us of that wonderful story of, of Jesus in the temple. He's there already. It's his total commitment, and it remains his total commitment. So God has chosen to reveal himself to you and me through his word. Not through sitting on the beach and looking at the wonderful sea, and not being at the top of the mountain, but actually through his word. That's what God has chosen to do for us. He's chosen to give us his word. And in a way, there you are. God has thrown his gauntlet down. He's died for us. He's written us a book which started in eternity. 
and is before us now. And the question is, have you read it? Will you read it? And will you make it your priority? So I'm just going to finish by saying this. It's a two-way word. God speaks to us through it as we read it. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart when we read it. Will you read it and will you make it your priority? Do you have a dissatisfaction with your current hunger for God's word? Then pray with me now. Lord, we look up to heaven and pray, Father. Holy Spirit, open our hearts today to your word. Put your word deep down within us and by your spirit. Show us how we need to change and empower us to do it. And wake us up in the middle of the night, Lord, and speak to our hearts about your word and shape us to look like your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, David. So be open to God's word and be open to God testing your faith. Did you know that God tests people's faith? We see this back and forth between God and people all the way through the Bible. He calls people to follow him no matter their circumstances. And then he waits to see how they will respond, just like David. How's he going to respond when I call to him? Is he going to stay awake for a little while at night or is he going to go back to sleep? People like Abraham, God says, leave here and go there. And off he goes. And his wife, Sarah, you're going to have that child you long for, even though you're old. And, and she struggles to believe that. Then Gideon. His people are oppressed and pushed down by the Philistines and he's there hiding in a threshing floor. And God says to him, get out of there because I want you to lead my army against these people. And by the way, when he gathered his army, he said, you've got too many. Let's just have 300, that should do. And, and Gideon, to his credit, said, okay, Lord. And then there was Ruth. God he spoke to Ruth through Naomi after all Naomi's sons had died and there was a famine where they were, and Naomi was heading back to Bethlehem, and she said to her daughters-in-law, go back to your people. But Ruth said, no, I'm yours now. Your God's going to be my God, and, and your people my people. And then there was David, you know, God said to David, look at that giant over there. And David said, what giant? I'm looking at you, Lord. And then there was Peter. Peter said, Lord, if, if it's you, call me to come to you in the water. We were hearing about that last week. And Jesus says, okay, come. And then Peter said, I'm sinking. God challenges us, tests our faith. And this is what Jesus is doing here with this woman from Syria. And at first reading, Jesus' words are cruel and harsh to a mom who is desperate on behalf of her troubled daughter. But when we look closer, we see Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, breaking through one of these add-on rules and engaging with a Gentile woman in order to tease out her faith. His words about not giving the children's bread to the dogs, that's most likely a quote, a saying of his people which Jesus is quoting about not having anything to do with Gentile people. They had closed ranks and were excluding people wrongly. And yet here is Jesus crossing all these boundaries, all these man-made boundaries 
in Gentile territory, challenging a Gentile woman about the extent of God's provision and giving her a chance to respond. And respond she does, cutting through the prejudice on behalf of her daughter. She will not be stopped from seeking God's help. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so Jesus said, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the result of her tested faith in Jesus Christ. The demon had left her daughter and the kingdom of God advanced into territory it had not been before. Where is the Lord currently testing your faith? Wherever it is and whatever it is about, don't be offended at Jesus. Don't be offended and take the huff when God tests you because if you're following Jesus, he will test you. So don't miss out on the wonders God has in store for you because things don't happen the way you expect them to. That happens to all of us. The question is, how are we going to respond? Trust him. Cling on to him for all your worth. Be like Jacob, wrestling with God. I won't let go of you, Lord, until you bless me. I want to be joined at the hip with you, God, even if I must limp for the rest of my life. Be like the Syrian woman in here. I know who you are, Lord. I've seen what you do for all sorts of people who put their faith in you. And I'm begging you, God, do the same for my daughter, for my child. So is there someone on your heart who you want Jesus to heal, to save, or set free? Why don't we pray for them right now? And so we look up to heaven and pray a father. Father, we are open to your testing of our faith. We refuse to let go of you in adversity. Instead, we will hang on to you, Father, for all our worth, because we know that you only want to do us good. We recognize that in this culture of instant remedies, you sometimes ask us to wait, and then you wait to see how we will respond. Sometimes you ask us to go, and then you wait to see how we will respond. Dear Lord Jesus, in the silence, we wait on you now on behalf of our loved ones. Lord, we beseech you on behalf of them this morning. Hear us, Lord, and answer our prayers. Lastly, we need to be open to hearing God's voice. The man who can't hear consequently has little speech. But he does have one thing. He has some really good friends. They bring him to Jesus and plead, beg Jesus to help their friend. And for me, this is just another picture of intercessory prayer. Just like the Syrian mums coming to Jesus is too. They love their friend and so they take him to Jesus. Jesus responds when we do that, when we bring our friends to him. He's not some remote being who doesn't want anything to do with our physical challenges. Jesus is a human being. He knows what it is like to physically suffer pain, abuse, prejudice, and death. And he knows what it is like to pray and hear nothing from God his Father. 
And he knows what it is like to pray through the night like David's been doing when everyone else has given up. This is God the Son. And he is still fully human in heaven. Something that we forget. Jesus is still fully human. Actually, even more human than ever, if that is possible. He's the one who hears our prayers and speaks to our human frailty. He sticks his fingers in our ears and says, Father, be open to hear my voice speaking words of healing to you. He looks down from heaven and says, Father, let this tongue loose to speak heaven's words for me here on earth. Jesus has come. Heaven has been torn open and we have access to the kingdom of heaven through the saving work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The prophet promised this in Isaiah 35 and Jesus delivered it. Isaiah said, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. That's a picture of the coming kingdom of heaven. And this is why Jesus looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, because he was longing for it too, right there and right then, and said, Ephatha, be opened. He longed for the day when heaven would fully come to earth. That's why he taught us to pray and long with him. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we live that prayer? How do we play our part in Jesus' plan to bring heaven to earth right here, right now? Well, we simply respond to Jesus' word to us today. Ephatha, be open to God in your lives. Let's pray together, shall we? Let me just say, if God's been challenging you this morning about your openness to him in any way, whether that's God's word or God speaking to you, or you hearing from him, we'd love to stand with you and pray with you for God's kingdom to come in your life. And so we look up to heaven and pray, Ephatha, Lord Jesus, dig our ears out so that we may hear your voice. Loosen our tongues so that we may speak your words plainly. Lord, you have done everything well. Help us to keep talking about what you have done in our lives everywhere we go and to everyone we meet. Because, Lord, you have done everything well. Help us to take our fingers out of our ears long enough to listen to what you have to say. Speak to us through your word, the Bible, through pictures, thoughts, visions, and dreams. However you want to speak to us, Lord, we say, Father, we are open to you, God. We are open to your word in our hearts, and we are open to your testing of our faith, and we are open to hearing your voice, because you have done everything well. Amen.